0: Welcome to the Colors of Infosec podcast, a podcast demystifying what it means to navigate a career in information security and technology as people of color. I'm your host, Asif Ahmad, and I am Christina Murillo, and we're here to give you an all access pass into tech and Infosec's past, present, and future. Uh, We're celebrating Cyber Awareness Month, and we wanted to kick things off right. So today, we are welcoming Taz. Nice to meet you, Taz. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I love this. Um, I have been in the security industry for the past 10 years now. I got started, I feel like, in a really unorthodox way. I was broke <laughs> and I was working at a Michael Kors and a woman walked in and um She looked fire and I just asked her what she did and how I could do it. And she told me she was in cybersecurity. So I bothered her uh, for a few months until she hired me. And then she finally hired me. And that was really where my start came into um, cybersecurity. And that goes into like my journey a little bit. I started in sales and business development. And in order to sell, I had to learn product. And I sat on a floor full of engineers. And so the technicality of security started to intrigue me a lot. Fast forward, brought me into kind of technical consulting and doing security architecture and product mapping. Um, but through this entire journey and process, I felt really lonely um, in the industry. And that's really what pushed me to start and fa- uh, found or find, I don't know how to say that, but found Cyber Collective. <laughs> um my organization. And um, it's a cybersecurity and privacy research organization that's rooted in hosting events to educate consumers and the regular public um, about cybersecurity and privacy and why they should care. And then we take their direct feedback um, and leverage it to come up with articles, briefings, and policy even, um, or advocate for policy changes. So that's where I am today. That was a little, it was a loaded question. So it, I wasn't sure, like, you know, where
2: to go or where to start. That's dope. But, you know, like, so I've mentioned that he's seen you on Instagram. And I know that you are, um, you recently launched season two of your security, privacy, and a lot of other bullshit Um I, is it like a video show? Like a talk show? Like, what are we what are we calling that these days? Like a, a webcast? Like w- a web series?
1: I don't know. Um, I don't know what you... I, I just call it... I called it a series and... I feel like I, it's a series, it's yeah. It's a series. And high key, I called it season two because I had a break and wasn't consistent. I was like, all right, let me... Do one <laughs> one, two, <laughs> two. So that, you tell the people you see you are fishing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm going to jot that one down. I'm going to jot that one down. You know what I'm saying? That's a good
1: strategy. Hey, I'm sure you guys already know, making content, it's (laughs) exhausting. Um, But the show is... So, you know, like I was saying about the loneliness factor, like, yeah, I started Cyber Collective, but then also, like, all of my friends and my peers, I just started making friends with cool people like Christina, you know, in the security industry, Like I've been lonely as shit out here because it's been it's just been not people that are like me um, that I have found until very recently. So I also have just trying to create a, a, I guess, a place where I fit and I feel comfortable and I felt comfortable making content, if that makes sense, because I could bring my personality and talk about. Things the way I want to talk about it because I felt like I had to just code switch and I can't explain things the way I want to explain it in certain business meetings and whatnot, you know, so that's that's the show um, because I was like, well if they're over here talking in a way that makes me not even want to continue a conversation, then clearly people aren't going to want to listen to that shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And all of my friends and my peers are like creatives. My brother's a rapper. Uh, And (laughs) so many of my friends are just in the entertainment industry even. And so I was like, there's something like there's a way to bridge this gap and I want to do it because I think I can. And so that's really like what set it off for me Um, but it's a show where I just talk about security, privacy, and a lot of other bullshit.
2: (laughs) Well, from like a consumer perspective, right? Like, is it more geared towards consumers, like small, medium businesses, enterprises?
1: Definitely. Who are you advising? Definitely geared to consumers, definitely geared to an audience that is a more lighthearted and can handle... A bit of harshness and bluntness that I bring. Um, This season, I guess I specifically talk a lot about election security and um, misinformation, but the purpose of my show is less around like how-tos or telling Mm -hmm. people like this is how you can become more secure and focus more around philosophizing security and data privacy and understanding how there are a lot of dots that aren't necessarily connected, right? Um, my The entire premise of my show is I want to bring people information so that you can start questioning things the way I question things, right? Um, so it's definitely more existential, if that makes sense, than it is very much like this is a show about cybersecurity and privacy policies. I touch on topics that maybe are considered a bit more mainstream, right? And try to get people to understand like, hey, this is why this matters. And this is how you can break it down so that you understand why it affects you. Because I don't think people understand why a lot of things that are happening in industry affect them as individuals, Um so definitely, definitely consumer focused, uh, 150%. I, I have made videos in the past for small businesses and whatnot, but I think that if you, um, educate individuals, you will in turn educate all small businesses because individuals are, Start yeah, it's exactly.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's an interesting take because I saw the episode you did on drones and I thought it was, I thought it was dope because like that's something I can let my mom see, I can let some of my relatives see that they don't understand kind of like what we do in, in InfoSec, right? Or they don't understand privacy, the importance of it, and things of that nature. So your video, I thought, or your series, I think it just speaks to everybody. Like, it can speak to, like, millennials. It can speak to older people. So I I thought that the audience would really, like, the, the way you're putting it out is just something that we need in this field. And... um. I, I thought it was sick. I I, I I was really feeling it, to be honest with you. And I thought you did a good job, and just the the production, the the way it's just set up, is just is just I like it. Thank um. You. Also, I I I also mentioned you mentioned like cyber collective a little bit, right? And that you guys are are like gathering research and things. Talk a little bit more about that in terms of like what, what was the the mindset behind that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. There were, as any, I feel like business, you go through iterations. And the one thing that I started with was, Tazine, this shit is going to change. So just make sure you set up your business in a way that, or whatever you were doing, um, knowing that you might pivot or you might change and shift. And I think that, um, you know, Cyber Collective originally started as a cybersecurity services organization for, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and nonprofits. That's where, like, when I started this a year and a half ago, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to speak to people in a language that makes sense, XYZ. A year and a half later, and I think that, you know, the way that this turn took was based off of a lot of just advocacy work and a lot of, like, pro bono work I started doing um, in the last year and a half from, like, a, an architecture perspective. And I realized how much even us in the security industry, like from a, I mean, individual consumer security perspective, and then also just data privacy and ethics in general, that we're really not necessarily, like, not everyone's privy to, you know, just because you're in cybersecurity, doesn't mean you know shit about privacy. Like, yes, there's compliance that's being pushed through, you know what I'm saying, with GDPR, with CCPA. but If you ask security professionals that aren't in charge of compliance and risk in their organization, you know, like organizations that are large and have like an entire risk team, the InfoSec group doesn't always know what's going on from a policy perspective, right? And vice versa, from a technical perspective for people that work in policy. Um, But as far as and i just i noticed that gap which was very real for me but specifically as as why we like the, the goal of research and why we turned it into a research organization was because of the feedback i was getting from people with the videos i was making i was i've been getting like just messages and messages and messages of incredible impact, incredibly, like, impactful feedback from consumers on their ideas, people from all different types of industries are like, yo, you broke this information down in a way that I finally understand. And now I have thoughts and opinions. And so I I thought in my head, I'm like, wow, these are in credible insights that I think need to be leveraged to help build fucking policy. Right. And we're over here as security and privacy professionals developing policy, but are we getting voices from undocumented immigrants? Are we getting feedback like on surveillance technology and how we feel about surveillance technology being implemented? Are we asking marginalized communities what their perspective is on how their data is being affected and what would their feedback beyond these ethics? Like how, and right now, almost every single ethics organization, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic. There are many, many ethics organizations that probably have more representation, but it's mostly white. It's a white dominant yeah. field. And so our events are successfully attracting global audiences right now, which is, I was shocked when I saw that that be the case. Like really, I was so shocked. And we wanted to create a space where we, like, it's just the, the formula, like we're going to teach people what this, what's happening, tell you exactly what the policy means so that you understand. And then we want to know how you feel about it because is ethics research really rooted in emotional, intelligence and how it's affecting people from an emotional perspective. All of the data is done um, more quantitatively, right? And so this is, we're using ground theory research methods um, to go about our research at this time. We will most likely expand on that, but um, you know, kind of long winded answers still, but there's just so much and I'm so passionate about it. (laughs)
2: It's funny that you mentioned about the like disconnect between like security professionals and just and privacy in general, you can have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. I think, I mean, I look at it from a product perspective as well, you know, having kind of visibility into how these big tech firms build products and sell software and stuff like that. And the fact of the matter is that they don't want everybody's opinions, right? Exactly. Because like if you, right, right. And like, if you, if I get opinions from documented, you know, undocumented immigrants or from any other population, it's going to be a hell no, I don't want you to take my data. Hell no, I don't want you to, you know, do X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, and I think that's, that's a problem, right? It's definitely a, it's definitely a huge problem, but it, you know, at the end of the day, I think capitalism wins. So I really like the fact that you are empowering through education, right? Like you're you're helping you're feeding that data that information that people are craving like desperately um in an accessible approachable way to get them to like pose these questions like you're giving them that that food that energy like you're giving them that red bull, so they're like, wait wait a minute, hold on a second if I sign up for this account and I accept this privacy policy, what am I really doing because taz said on her video that you know I'm getting paid for this, you know what I'm saying so like I really love that. I think that it's um I think we need more of that. And it I feel like you're an activist in that regard, right? Like you're you're pushing those boundaries and um really challenging the status quo for like the betterment of humanity,
1: right? Thanks. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> I agree. And I think I think a lot of the um these unrepresented populations, they they do need a voice. In America, as you can see, just with our leadership now, um, they're, they're trying to silence that voice. So the fact that you're trying to amplify it and to try to give them you know, a say in a matter like privacy is, is huge. So uh, kudos to you for that.
1: Thank you. It's been, you know, and the thing is like, and I've learned last week, we had an event on election on what is on our ballots, right? And we went and dove into Proposition 24. That is is regarding data privacy on California's ballot. We went through um, what's on Michigan's ballot and what's on Massachusetts ballot, and through that, like we had that event idea because somebody the week before sent me a message asking me a question, like, "Hey, there was a question on privacy on California's ballot, and I didn't know what to say." And I, that wouldn't have even been a a thought in my brain. Like I, that was something that someone else brought to me, right? And that's the power of notifying the public and talking about these things and and talking about it in a way that like is entertaining and people can actually like want to sit through and and listen to and it's also like with these voices something that we're trying to answer right now we had a research and development call right before I got on this podcast and we're really trying to dig into like what is the best way do we start developing do we partner with Groups to develop, bring the voices to those groups, right? If that makes sense. Like we act as a middleman and say, work alongside policy developers to add whatever feedback that the public wants and take questions like in survey form back and forth. Or do we, we're trying to figure out what's the best method right now to have marginalized voices a part of the tech ethics dialogue, right? How, how do we get them involved in ethics? Like I saw something um, and we're doing an event about it in a few weeks, but about Zuckerberg and Facebook helping develop an internet ethics policy. That I, I saw that and I was like, what type of oh. hip, hypocritic bullshit is this? <laughs> There's no way. Right. And it's, the people with the money are the ones that are making the ethics, but the people have power, right? And the power is if you mobilize people enough, you can if you get people to stop using Facebook because they are, you know, they know what's what's actually happening. I know that's a very radical thought that won't ever happen, but that's the point of cyber collective. It's like we're not getting rid of it. The tech giants aren't going anywhere. Social media isn't going anywhere and we have to live with it. It's ingrained in every single part of our lives. Now, our work, our livelihood, the way we make money even. So not like if you can't beat them, join them type deal, but we joined you. So now let's make you better because we know that this is just what it is. And so let's find a solution instead. So that's really the goal of like this kind of think tank oriented research group, right. That cyber collective has. Um, and it's consumer focused and consumer direct, which I, and and the, the groups that we attract, I mean, like, I've never been to, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but like I've never been to any event as diverse as cyber collective events ever in my 10 years in information security and cybersecurity, like ever. And I think it's that's the most powerful part of all of this because I every meeting and most of my meetings I'm the only person of color <laughs> in those calls. Like, nine-
2: you know what's interesting that like p- folks of color can like we can mobilize people, we can find people whether they're white of color or whatever. But then like but what our what counterparts is- or these businesses, yeah, they, they, yeah, they be like, oh, the we Yeah. Then you get an all white panel. Right. And it's like, Oh, we couldn't find, we don't have enough, you know, there's no pipeline or whatever. And it's like, are you serious? Right. Like you didn't even try.
1: Yeah. That's always
2: interesting to me. Should consumers also hold these tech companies accountable? Because I feel like we forget, right. You just said something, you said, you know, people will probably never stop using Facebook. Right. Um, And I'm sure you've watched the social dilemma like a a trillion times Mm -hmm. as well. And you know, there's like a science behind that and like that whole addiction, right? Yeah. So I just feel like even at times, like, do you see that even educating consumers and and sharing this data, like, do you notice impact? Do you see actual change? Like, do you see people delete their Facebook accounts? Because I, I fear that even though people know, like now you have the education, you've given them the education, but like you, you would assume that people know better and do better, but people don't do better even though, know better, right? Not Because always. of that
1: outdoor. Right. Not always, right. right. Not always. I think that it, it depends on the demographic of people. I think that mm-hmm. and that's where this, like, emotional um, intelligence, awareness, and almost, like, the, the aspect of mental health, like, it has such a huge role in what we do, and that's mm-hmm. A part of like my series and just like the whole, you know, Christina, you just said you were on a panel about digital mindfulness today, right? So it's that element about digital mindfulness has a huge role in all of this, and I have seen significant behavioral differences. Every Friday, I delete all of my social media off of my phone, off of my like I don't go on Facebook. I didn't do it last uh, weekend because I leverage Instagram for work at times, and but I I've been doing this for the past like. Two and a half, three months now where every Friday I delete like Instagram and Twitter um, off of my cell phone and I don't go on it at all. And I've been talking about it and I say like, all right, y'all, Fridays, I'm out. And then I come back on Monday and I talk about like all the shit that I did over the weekend because I didn't have my phone in my hand. And it's amazing. Like, I love this practice so much. And there are so far hundreds of people that have done this that have started to do this. And, you know, a, a lot of folks, I'm like, yo, make it your, and and the thing is people are like, um, I. they're like, yeah, I, I wanted to share this. And, and this is a whole separate conversation. I'm like, make it your, yeah. make it your movement. Like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, Taz was doing this and I, now it doesn't have to be like, some people try to like put ownership onto things that don't, mm-hmm. don't own that concept. You know what I mean? Like, I have been encouraging everybody like make it your own, make it your movement for your algorithmic bubble to sign off for a few days. And Christina, let me tell you, people have been doing it and I have seen the beautiful, beautiful things that they come back with of everything that they did over the weekend, like even things as simple as like a bubble bath. And, or, and uh, um, men talking about taking bubble baths too, because (laughs) they're not happening. Right. But um, just like you, people doing things with their hands, spending time with their family more. So I think that when, if we can really like just normalize the way we talk about stuff it is what the difference is, right? It like when we connect at a human level and we say like, Hey, This is this is our life our life now. So let's it's it's just balance on so many different levels, and it's the same way with like the ethics conversation. Almost, it's like okay, we know that consumers can't drive develop like policy development. That we need experts, one hundred percent. We need experts, but we can have like middlemen experts that help rally a lot of voices, and you know, conception like articulate all of those thoughts into and formulate it into a way that experts can digest. And then we can help bridge these gaps. And absolutely, I think that we can do that. Like if we can all come on that level, but the reason like it doesn't always happen is because I just see so much fucking ego in our yeah. industry. It yeah. pains me. It pains me so deeply the amount of ego that lives in the cybersecurity industry when you actually work with like technical people on certain teams and it's it's got to go. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to be able to make any change, but a lot of people aren't here for change. So, and I I respect that, you know, not everybody is a change maker um, and yeah. I, you can't expect everybody to be either.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I think that that's why social media has been so successful or at least one of the reasons is that people seek this this concept of connection or belonging. And I like I see a lot of like the similarities, you know, across like just the tech industry and people that work in a technology capacity or an in information security or cyber capacity. Uh, there's this like almost wanting to be almost like unicorn status and special. And 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 because of that, you know, it's kind of seeped into pop culture and just like now it's like, you know, we celebrate these we celebrate these like infosec celebrities and these people and it's just it just becomes this whole thing so i think that it's feeding that ego monster more and um, yeah i mean i agree with you 100% it's uh, it's really sad to see and i think that because of it a lot of a lot of folks are searching for other opportunities or other careers uh, because the the culture and the community, you know, has its good parts. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of amazing people in the space, but then there's also like that ugly side, right? Big believer in empowerment through education. It can be overwhelming. I do every bit that I can. Um, I'm actually starting with my children, right? Like I'm, mm. you know, I'm teaching my daughters about uh uh, proper like security hygiene and password hygiene and why, right? Like the why's are so much more important mm-hmm. than like the how. Yes. And so I think that it's important that we begin educating children at y- at a young age because Look, I'm a little bit older and I'm not going to say my age, but what I will tell you is my time, it was like the AOL time. So I remember when there was no, you know, internet that was easily accessible, right? I remember the 14K modems and I also remember Geepers. So I grew up in a time where I didn't have the internet and I didn't have a smartphone in my pocket. So I totally understand what it means to disconnect and like enjoy earth and life. Uh, but I feel like the the generation that was born in the late 80s and 90s they've only known a world, like a hyper-connected world, right? Which makes it even a little bit more complex.
1: Yeah, I was, um, I'm even, I'm on the younger side, right? But even me, I didn't, and maybe it's because like I grew up um, on like a lower socioeconomic end, right? But I didn't have a cell phone until I was able to purchase my own <laughs> in my 20s, you know? And we didn't have, a computer until I was in high school, and for for me, even like being a millennial, that that was also very out of touch. Um, yeah. And we like we had a compact nineteen ninety three computer, that, that, no you know, like the OG dialogue. up. <laughs> um, I and our narrative is more like an immigrant narrative, um, in a sense. And I'm sure many Americans, non immigrants, can relate to this too. It's just we just didn't have money for it, and so have social media until later in my life. So I also remember like the that time that the yeah. time not it like I feel like millennials definitely grew up with it's that whole element of of knowing that there was a time without it. And and then we are between these two generations in a sense that is completely out of touch and then one that's being like they're growing up entirely in it.
0: Yeah, I I think I think it's an addiction, and I'm I'm with you. I I I was I didn't have my cell phone until I was like 19. I had a beeper actually, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) But the funny thing is that moving forward, right, and like not only breaking the addiction, but do you think like the federal government should have any responsibility in any of this? Like, do you think they should try to legislate? Do you think um, they're equipped to legislate? And (laughs) I will, I feel you on that. And do you think like ninety seven IQ in order to uh,
1: to be okay? (laughs)
0: and and 15 percent of the password too
1: i think that there are a couple of different things i mean um i feel like cyber collective is a lot of my answer to that and what we're trying to develop as far as the government absolutely the fuck not um no (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) no (laughs) i say say what i (laughs) said you know um I don't want the feds involved in any type of regulation around anything that I use. Like, uh, even though many security like TikTok, right, the the whole element about whether it's secure, like from a privacy perspective, the fact that they're collecting the amount of information and, you know, all social media platforms are pretty much collecting the same amount of data. Um, It's just the fact that China as a foreign entity was making money. Off of that data. That's the only reason why it, it, there there is so much um, drama around TikTok. It's it, it has. Uh, they're making it seem like it's about like consumer data privacy, but they don't give a fuck about consumer data privacy. It's about the fact that we're as a society, as America, not building capital off of our own citizens. And how can we let China make money off of our citizens? We need to be making money off of our citizens. So the government. I mean, I think that. So far, I just systemically, like (laughs) over the course of history, I don't trust the government to put together anything. Um, You know, we we are currently trying to dismantle the process that currently exists. You think of surveillance technology and what the government is willing to implement and how it's specifically criminalizing Black people, right, Um, Mm -hmm. even with recognition tools that are being leveraged clearview ai and its direct contract with um uh ice and there are so many different private entities from a certain like technology like technological perspective that are that are making deals with the federal government because of course they want more surveillance right and and there are a lot of different conversations that are happening. So you think about like the surveillance that the government is implementing through private entities. And then you think about the surveillance that big tech has that the government doesn't have access to. So there are a couple of different conversations that like tie into what you asked. There's the antitrust committee that exists already. That's been, uh, you know, banging into uh, the big four tech giants about just taking monopolizing the industry and what that means. Um, and then there's also the conversation that needs to happen with our government about their tactics. Right. So as far as committees are concerned and whatnot, I think that it's hard to um implement diverse committees in spaces that diversity is just so non-existent and and our government is an answer to that. So I think that we're going to need to create more private entities or private organizations that drive that legislation and policy forward. Like we just got to create like (laughs) anti-organizations to kind of um, dismantle what they're creating, because I think it will be years before we can get The right people in place to um, vote out that we have, and people growing up to implement a more diverse Congress, which I think will happen eventually. But at this in the space that it is right now, um, I don't think that's possible. But it's just it's a really loaded question.
0: Actually, a perfect segue because um, you know you talk about getting a more diverse Congress. So we got the election coming up, right? So well, actually, people are already voting. What are your thoughts on like the election security?
1: Until these large organizations, these enterprises, there are regulations around what they can and can't do. But there there has to be consequences for these organizations. Um, I think that we will continue to see a lot of this propaganda like that's not going going to change. And there are so many levels to the way you can talk about election security. I think for me, the the conversation that I have focused on is more around the misinformation, right? And the propaganda and the use of our, you know, social media as a system of mass surveillance and mass manipulation, right? There are military documents about how memes are leveraged for military operations. Um so it's psyops, it's psychological warfare. And I have a more radical perspective on this than a lot of people that may be listening. No, I don't think that, that there's anything that we're going to, not that there isn't anything that we're going to be, be able to do about it, but There's so much power that exists that's beyond these small conversations that we're having. Like, it would be foolish of me to say, like, yeah, we're going to be able to make this change. (laughs) We can do small things. And I think the way that we do make the change is making consumers aware because people have the power. We are the masses. Right. Um, And that's the biggest gap. It's all the Karens aren't angry about their data being manipulated. So we got to get the right people mad. You know what I'm saying? And then that's where the change will happen because that's just the way that October. Works.
2: October is cyber awareness month, right? We're trying to educate the masses. You know, you're doing a phenomenal job trying to get people woke or woker, right. Um, educating people on disinformation, propaganda, all of that. What are a couple of takeaways that you would give to our audience on these are the things that you need to look out for. This is what you should do at a baseline level, like tomorrow. Like do this at a minimum and then work your way up. Like don't get overwhelmed.
1: Yeah. Any tips suggestions? I tend to give more like existential suggestions, like I said earlier, um in our conversation just around my feedback is around like digital mindfulness in a sense, so something that I try to let people take away after the content that I build is, you know, my biggest, biggest, biggest advice is always ask questions, (laughs) you know, question everything. Don't just take anything for what it is for Bible. Um, Our screens, like data is, data is manipulated. That's what data is. It's manipulated information. (laughs) And like actually, right. Um, And so know that what's reaching your screens isn't always what you think it is. And consciously click. That's, um, what you click on can lead to, um, good things and bad things happening. And sometimes if you let yourself just be quick to click on something, you can end up having a lot of, um, malicious activity on your device. Right. And then, um, lastly, consciously share, uh, which is really important to me because, I think the biggest thing that we can do is slow down and stop just being quick to like tap 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 and just share something because retweet retweet yeah just because we saw it like read the whole article I just tweeted about this watch the entire video my stats on my last video let me tell you there were like like a lot hundreds and hundreds of shares but only four percent of my video was watched I was like all of y'all are trash <laughs> because <laughs> how are you only watching 4% of something and sharing with such insightful feedback. Like that is, I literally told like my followers, right. On, on Instagram, just like, why y'all doing the shit that I'm telling you not to do? Like, I don't care if it's mm-hmm. my content or anyone else's like, stop being a part of the problem <laughs> is the entire, is the element. Like it's just slowing down and being mindful, and if we don't let our ego get in the way, we can do it. <laughs> it's just we think that we need, need, need at all times. It's like, say,
0: more folks, like our listeners, want to find out more about you, want to find out more about Cyber Collective, want to find out more about your show. Like, where can they find you and? In-
1: yeah, we are all on um, most social platforms. I would say we're on a LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find my handle everywhere is at Tech with Taz on Instagram and on Twitter. And then Cyber Collective um I wish we had the same handle on all social platforms, but we don't, we didn't have so other people <laughs> caught on, um, to the name, I guess they don't even use the page, which is sad, but on Instagram, it's at cyber org and on Twitter, it's a get psycho, but I can also, um, share it with you all, but our website is simply www.cybercollective.org and you'll find um, links to all of our social handles there and also our event information, which right now it's every Thursday at 6 p.m. EST um, is what we're calling Psycho Hour.
2: This is dope. Thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having a cool conversation with you. I'm definitely attending your next event. And, yeah. Yeah. We will chat soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, among others. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at (laughs) Colors of Info. Thanks for listening.